Ja, morgen. at the pinnacle of her profession. Like Cher and Madonna, an artist who doesn't need a last name. She's sold more than 60 million albums around the world. But she's almost never seen by her fans. Enya's never staged a concert tour and rarely performs live. A pop icon, now 42 years old, passionate about her privacy. There are certain people who are very comfortable with being photographed every day. And there's certain people who need it as well, you know. And it's just that, to me, um, I never felt the need for it. Hey, Enya, go on tour. <laughs> go on freaking tour. I've been wanting her to go on tour for 20 years. You've been calling for this for decades, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like my dream to see Enya. She does have a last name, by the way. It's Brennan. But who cares? She's Enya, right? I wanted to like see her at like the state theater. You know? You know, somewhere like a like where you've seen rock bands and stuff. I I wanted to see her play a show at a place like that. Never happened. Probably won't ever happen. I mean, you would know. I, I, has she ever played a show stateside ever? Like, has she ever played a show in New York or anything? I don't know. I don't. I don't. No. I don't think so. We'll get to it. But <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. But this uh, is a real lie. Uh, this could be like me with Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. similar. Like oh, you're a little. Uh, you're a little head over heels. Listen, if you're planning to have me in some way be critical of this artist tonight i that's probably gonna be tough that's probably gonna be tough do you think that like <laughs> kate bush and you might find her way to number one again can, yeah can you believe what's happening there yeah i said so that's because of a, a tv show or something where run up that hill got a yeah so a it's stranger life. things i don't think stranger things is ever your thing uh what is a show yeah yeah it's a netflix oh. show is it we watched the first couple seasons well i i watched the first couple seasons it, it's a it's a real sci-fi sort of deal. There's this underworld and everything, so it's not really my cup of tea. But it was compelling enough. It's set in the '80s, hmm. and one of the things about the show is it the music, the use of music is just exceptional. Oh, okay. They use great '80s music, and then Zombie does like the original music for it. Zombie Relapse Records, like electronic artist, which is awesome. And so they use all these 80s references. And if your song is in Stranger Things, you like almost, it's it's the modern music business. Like you're so, like, you immediately like skyrocket and it's, reju it's rejuvenated many careers Stranger yeah. Things has. So the latest is Kate Bush. They used running up that hill in this very, you know, important scene of the debut of season four. Huh. And almost immediately the song, it went 
the number one in the UK or top 10 for sure or whatever. Won't it be fun? And, you know, you know, look no further than our next episode, you know, teaser, teaser to have these hidden gems, uh, uncut joms of albums and songs. Won't it be fun to watch a song like Run Up That Hill and men and a host of many others find some way to come back and remind a new generation how good it was. It's, it's very cool to see that happen. And, and, you know, Hey, it is what it is. You got to figure out clever ways to get this music in front of people. And if it's going to take TV shows then let's go with TV shows. Right. So I think it's all in all a net awesome thing, but it's so fun to watch a younger generation and a different generation kind of be like, Ooh, that's a great song. And it's like, yeah, no shit. No shit. You know, I agree with all great, of that. Been a great song for decades. <laughs> well, it, well I, so here's my question for you. If Enya almost overnight had this like resurrection of her career, and if it was from a TV show or something, something other than people buying her records and all of a sudden Enya's is like the talk of the town in any way, shape or form as a music fan. Did you ever have that thing where that bothered you where it's like, oh, <laughs> I, I was there, you know, I've liked Enya for 30 years. Oh yeah, sure. I did have that, but now I don't. I've gotten over it because if it means that people are reconnecting to something, then I just see it as nothing but positive. But yes, there used to be a, where have you been the last 20 years thing? But now I've realized that that's uh, sort of dumb and it's just good for good for these things to get in the hands of people, particularly young people um, in any way, shape or form possible, you know? Yeah, I think that's kind of the perfect take. I, I never really had the thing of like, I like Nirvana before, you know, like, you know, yeah. everyone ever liked Nirvana before they got popular, apparently. But yeah, yeah, I think I do think anything to bring it to life. Hopefully it leads to people discovering Kate Bush's entire catalog. Yeah. More than just like listening to Running Up That Hill over and over again, because right. Running Up That Hill is a, a actually a very unique song for her. But, you know, here I am. Here I here I go talking about Kate Bush again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I should have known. I should have known we were going in that direction. But lots of similarities between Kate Bush and Enya. Yeah. Lots, no, including it, the clip you just played. Both very reclusive, you know? Yes. And yeah, they no, never it, played live. It is a good parlay. So, you know, so two, I'll, I'll note there's two uh, musical, um, you know, uh, ambitions of mine. The first was to see Enya live. That one may not happen. That one just might not happen. The second nub I got to share with you in the audience is... I purchased something I've musically wanted for a long, long time and never had. It's a piece of equipment. Do you know what it is? Did I tell you this yet? You didn't. I have a guess. I think it's the same as mine. So I'm going to be kind of, if it is, I'm going to be a little bit jealous. Uh -huh. Did you buy a Fender Rhodes piano? No. But that's but that's awesome. Did you buy one of those? No, but that's been at the top of my list. Okay. That, that's my ultimate like if I hit the jackpot tomorrow, like the first thing uh, I'd buy is like a new, yeah. like a good shape Fender Rhodes. No, this is much less uh, of an expense. This is uh, I bought a marching snare drum. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I finally, I've, I've forever, I've wanted to own and operate a, a marching snare. Can I give you a little, give you a little taste of it? Why? Yes, you can. You want a little bit. All right. Yes. Ready? Here we go. Okay. So. Hang on, I got it sort of set up over here. Got that? You hear that? Yeah, loud and clear, buddy. 
did that did that come through? Did that did that come out a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, you sound well, like was, a regular, uh, you know, member of the best damn band in the land. Well, exactly. Well, notice I'm going right to the JFK, you know, drummer salute stuff. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I've always wanted one of those damn things, so I finally got one. So, so now I just got to check the uh, check the Enya thing off the list. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen now. The amount of attention and prestige and record sales that this artist has achieved is just astounding and completely unique in that it's somebody who uh, I mean she like lives in like a castle like out in the middle of nowhere and hardly ever leaves right I mean (laughs) doesn't tour doesn't promote really it seemed like I mean the clip I played from from the top was a CBS this morning appearance back in 2001. The reason why that was easy to isolate is because I don't think she ever did anything like that before or after or since. So, so how do you find a way, you know, even still today to sell this many albums and gain this sort of notoriety as an artist without having to jump through the hoops that most of the music business do. And I think it's by being authentic, uh, coming up with something original. This is a rare instance in music nub where, and you sort of came up with a sound and an approach that couldn't be replicated, couldn't be copied. No one's been able to mimic it because it would just be too obvious and too noticeable. So she's literally been able to carve out this sort of, I don't know, call it what you want, new age pop sensibility and approach that has basically created a territory and did so really by kind of taking a gamble on a sound that was extremely original. But I don't know if you can think of another instance like that, Nub. Every other genre has had somebody who can come in and sort of say, oh, I want to do that too. And uh, reap some of the benefits. You really haven't seen that with Enya's music at all. It's always been hers and maybe always will. I think that Kate Bush is a good comparison. I think sneakily Elton John. Oh, will you stop talking about Kate Bush? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. no, I won't. I can't. Um, I think sneakily Elton John is a, is a good comparison, just in the sense of one person, um, literally sort of taking over the world kind of on their own, but doing it with a different approach and a different kind of personality and all those things. Certainly there's no comparisons in sound between Elton John and, and, but I, I think I agree with everything you said, but what has to be added to it, that's a huge part of this story is the aspect of being global because in 1991, which is this album, but you know, she was, this was like not her first record. The idea of being global was not only a lot harder than it is now, but it, it also was way, way more unique. I mean, Enga's music was like one of the things that kind of told an 11 year old me that like, oh yeah, it's like a big world out there. Yeah. I mean, she was huge in New Zealand. She was huge in Europe. She was obviously big in the US. That's one of the takeaways for me was that it was an early lesson of well, this music thing is global. This was a global artist. And that's why she was so wildly successful. It was not just the U.S. It was what she did everywhere else. 
It's a great point. Important point. Hey, Nubs ate his Wheaties today. He brought his A game. That's a that's an excellent point. Let's see if he brought his A game as we go round and round. Nub, lots of new releases, as you mentioned. Which ones have you been plowing through? Actually, a lot of new releases, but my run around right now isn't as new release heavy, except for one, which is uh, a live album, An Evening with Silk Sonic. Do you know what Silk Sonic is, T? Uh, I don't think so, man. Silk Sonic is the collaboration between Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Oh, and okay. Also has a little Bootsy Collins uh, weaved into there. And... Uh, I went to, we went to Vegas a few weeks back because we have not been to Vegas since before pandemic and love, love Vegas and really wanted to go. And we went and, uh, you know, instead of going to like a nightclub, which was one of the original ideas, it's like, Oh, let's go to a club and get bottle service. You know, lamest thing ever. Uh, I was like, you know what? Why don't we like find like a great show that's happening and maybe like go see some music. And it took like two seconds to realize that Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars, and Anderson Peck were doing this residency in, in Vegas. So we bought the way too expensive tickets and went. And it, it was just, it was a remarkable show. It was one of those deals where like you think it's going to be one way and then you show up and it's like, wow, this is, this was way better than I thought. Very retro, big throwback to sort of Motown and Parliament Funkadelic, like real funk references and just this relentless nonstop groove. Bruno Mars is the real deal, not just in terms of talent, which is evident, but in terms of being an artist and, and having that appreciation, you know, always been unheralded about that guy. So much credibility, so much. And you're right. Appreciation. That's what this project seems to be about. And Anderson packs a drummer and it's, it's the whole thing is so cool. And the show was amazing. I mean, we, we, we just had so much fun. And so they put out an evening with Silk Sonic, the live album, which, you know, of course has been on rotation. But one of the cool things about the show, T, and I don't know if you've had this experience yet, when you show up, you know, as you, as you give your, you know, ticket or what used to be a ticket, now it's on your phone and go into the show, they, they take your phone away. Um, they, they had a strict no cell phone policy for the crowd. And well, they, they didn't take it away. They gave you this like this secure bag that you put it in and you hold that all night. And then at the end, as you're walking out, they use this special key to open the bag and give your phone back. So you have no access to your phones. And I got to tell you, dude, after going to shows for the last several years, it was so refreshing to not see phones around stupid, you know, like taking pictures of the show, taking selfies, trying to get, especially at a show like that. That's a great, I mean, good for them because a Vegas Bruno Mars production that would probably encourage a lot of based on the, the attendees and sort of the fan base that's there. It would probably be annoyingly high yeah. resonance of people using their phones. So good for them. That's awesome. And, and it would give away the whole imagery of the show, all the surprises they did. And above all, people were really engaged with the show. I mean, people were dialed into the music. And so it was so cool. And I, I just call on every band that can to put this into practice. I know it would be added expense and I know that there's some headache there, but it was so nice to just enjoy a show without my phone, but more importantly, without anybody else being obnoxious 
And yeah. so that was really nice. So an evening with Silk, Silk Sonic, the uh, live capturing of this has been a rotation and that's great. Love it for sure. Second is an album by a really underrated sub pop band, Constantine's. Their debut is one of my favorite albums, uh, really unheralded, underrated. They're one of their follow up albums, Tournament of Hearts. Just re- recently got a copy of that. Love it. Constantine's a really, really good band. And then another one of these overlooked gems from the 90s. Again, you know, previewing a show to come. But there's an album by a band called The Grays. The album's called Rochambeau, which is kind of funny because I all I think about there is the um South Park reference to what a Rochambeau is. Rochambeau, you in the nits. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's the 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 band is the Grays. And it includes Jason Faulkner. Do you remember what band Jason Faulkner was in? Definitely know the name. Forget the band. He's one of the key members of Jellyfish. Ah. And so when Jellyfish like fell apart. Jason Faulkner did a few different things, but one of which is he started this band, the grays in Rochambeau. It's like perfect pop rock songwriting. It's great nineties album. Really, really, really good stuff. You should check it out, especially as a big jelly jellyfish fan, like Enya, another a, a group that you are another artist that you kind of carried the flag for. Before. We should, we should maybe yeah. do a jellyfish at some point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be great. Huh. It'd be a great, great episode. So what is spinning uh, round for you, man? Nubs, I got the new uh, Liam Gallagher. It's called Come On, You Know. I haven't plowed through it yet. Have you? Yes, and it's great. His oh, solo albums, aside from the first Noel Gallagher Flying Birds album, second one's pretty good too. But now Liam's moved out in front because the last that? Noel stuff has been awful. Yeah. Festival rock. And who does the songwriting for Liam's records? Is he... Is he writing the songs? I think so. Wow. Certainly a heavy hand in it. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Well, that makes me even more excited. I'm going to get through that one. I'm like team Liam now, you know, he, <laughs> he loves beer now and he embraces <laughs> all the good things about rock and roll. He's still making rock and roll music. Whereas Noel has, is, now Noel thinks he's an electronic artist. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's a good point. And, and also Liam has said Oasis should get back together essentially um, I mean, he's, he's in he's yeah, in he's, he's ready in. and so showing that it's probably a noel thing at this point so yeah you do have to give him props for that def leopard diamond star halos have you heard this i have and mm. okay same as their last few okay All right. yeah that single is really good take what you want is is re- was really good and i was like oh man are these guys getting back to like little old school here, but okay. All right. Well, TBD on that. And then the third is uh, Florence and the machine uh, who I enjoy dance fever is the name of this one. Now I I haven't, I I keep giving these round and rounds and I don't really, I haven't listened to them yet. So it's not, it's like about to say you're even listening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. About to be round and round, but that's when these new releases start to pile up, you know, that, that kind of happens. And what's um, your system? Like, how do you, do you listen to everything through your phone and just try and tackle it as you go? Or do you have, I know you, what do you buy things on CD and then you rip them? Is that your move? Usually. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, buy it on CD. And I mean, I don't even have a CD player in my car anymore. So I know it sucks. <laughs> so, you know, I usually, I mostly just do that because I still like buying CDs and, you know, and it's a better rip when you turn it into digital than it is downloading these crappy files that exist. And then do you keep the CD or does it depend on depends? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It totally depends. But, uh, 
finding the right windows, finding the right, you know, opportunity. And then, you know, cause I don't like to listen to like half of it. I like to be able to like, all right, if I, pl- if I start it now, I'll get through the whole thing, you know? So, um, the beauty of two twins in an album, hopefully is you go from Queensryche to this a little something kind of different. Why don't we get into the nerdy deets and we'll tell you all about it. You want some dirty deets? Yeah. You want some dirty deets? Shepherd moons was released on November 4th, 1991. Happy birthday. Snots, big brother snots on that one. Eh? Uh, one of the people, I mean, Enya's Enya's Enya. She doesn't need a last name has indeed carved out a, not just a genre, but to Nubs's earlier point, a global genre for this type of music, but she did not do it alone. And Nikki Ryan is a dude who needs to be acknowledged as part of the Enya story. Nikki Ryan was part of Enya's previous band, which was a family band. Uh, she had several siblings that were part of the, and then an uncle and a, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> it was the Brennan family, uh, essentially that formed the band Clannad out of Ireland who, you know, kind of started to develop a sound that was a little bit unique. This was this started in the late seventies and through the early mid eighties and, and Enya was very involved with Clannad. And if you listen back, it's, it's pretty raw. It's pretty um, traditional and these type of things. But if you're really trying to formulate the story of how Enya and Nikki Ryan sort of took this genre and turned it into something that's very accessible and fairly pop oriented, it's a good kind of way to sort of dig back and get a feel for that. Nikki Ryan had a vision. He clearly had a vision for Enya and for the sound that they wanted to generate together. And he's the primary producer, a huge hand in composition and is essentially, I mean, this is almost like a a duo, I would say more so than it is a pure solo project. And he's been there from the beginning and he's still there today. He was the um, manager a little bit more on the periphery with the Clannad project and basically went to Enya and said, Hey, you know, I've got a sound, I've got a vision. I think you're a big part of it. And what do you say? We uh, ditch this group and go, you know, do our thing and take over the world in terms of this genre. And uh, Enya Brennan said, all right, count me in. So uh, Nikki and Enya left Clannad together essentially built a home studio at Nikki's residence. Enya and Nikki and his wife, Roma, who actually writes all the lyrics. She's a poet. The three of them kind of cooped up at this home studio and started to work through what this sound would be. The first example of it was, it was actually a soundtrack from a BBC series called The Celts which was also basically Enya's first self-titled album. And it was well-received. It was obviously a good platform to your earlier point, Nub. You know, sometimes you use TV and 
other mediums to kind of push your music. Well, Enya's first album was technically a soundtrack for this BBC show, The Cults. You know, that led to signing with Warner Records. And that led to 1988's Watermark, uh, which led by uh, what has become a pretty timeless classic song that you almost can't get away from called Orinoco Flow, otherwise known as Sail Away, Sail Away, Sail Away. Yeah, you can't say it without singing it, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> now, here's what's amazing about Orinoco Flow, man. Nominated. In 1988, for best new age performance, the Grammy, it didn't win. It was like, wait a minute, what? And do you know why? Do you know what beat Orinoco Flow for best new age performance? <laughs> no, but if it's <laughs> if it's anything other than Brian Eno, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> well, know? it may be second best to you because there's a definite tie-in to uh, something that you love. It was Peter Gabriel. And his performance on the Last Temptation of Christ album, which, hey, I, that is know, a that is a work of genius. It I is. Will say so, that. It is. So yeah. I saw that. It was funny. I saw it. and I saw it nominated for a Grammy. I was like, "What the hell beat that?" And then I saw it was Last Temptation of Christ. It was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." You know, it's kind of like, all right, like, I suppose that's that. just bad luck for Enya because any yeah, other right. year, and I'm not saying that uh, Passion should have beat it because i don't you know i'm I'm not well versed enough in the new age world i could just tell you that both are incredibly amazing works yeah that that gabriel soundtrack is it's landmark i mean people point to that still as a game yeah it at least it wasn't a jethro tall metallica moment at least it was like okay you know i get it right so nikki ryan interesting guy interesting um musician and very interesting visionary he taught deaf school children before he started working with Clannad and he developed, he, he was sort of teaching them through music and sound and figuring out a way to get um, these deaf students to kind of understand and feel music. So he developed this low end system to get them to feel rhythms and, and sort of thumping beats and all these type of things. And you hear a lot of that. I think that's really what separates it from swirling new age music is the low end sort of bottom feeding nature of some of the bass and some of the, you know, sort of progressions you get underneath these things. And uh, a lot of that stems back from, you know, his um, kind of approach to teaching, um, you know, deaf students how to receive music, which is very cool. The thing that really, though, Nub, I think defines, and this is a very modern concept, which is interesting, but the thing that really, I think, defines the Enya sound is the use of multi-track voice. You know, it's this kind of wall of sound idea, and that's really what inspired, you know, Nikki to take this approach. But, you know, go all the way back to episode one for us, right, where we talked about in utero, how Butch Vig on the previous record, Nevermind, had to sort of convince Kurt Cobain to multitrack. And he, in order to sell him in on this, he said, well, John Lennon did it. And Kurt Cobain was like, well, okay, if John Lennon did it, I guess it's not that bad. But that was basically like multitracking two voices, maybe three. 
Nikki Ryan's vision for Enya was let's multi-track like 60, you know? And right. Guess, yeah. <laughs> and I guess part of the, and there's a lot of production to this. Maybe that's part of why she doesn't play live, but you know, you got, you got that tape and backtracks and things you could accomplish that. Come on Enya, let's go, go on tour. Come on. Yeah. I, I was going to jump in when you started talking about multi-tracking and make the Nirvana reference of like doubling your voice. I don't know the exact number. I don't know if 60 was hyperbole or not, but I, it sounds like there might be upwards of, you know, 40, 50 oh, yeah. voices on here. Oh yeah. You know? No question. I think what stood out to me in terms of learning a little bit more about Enga is that she was responsible for much, much more of the music than I would have ever thought. I actually thought it would have been a little more of the opposite that Enga was just sort of the singer and the, the front figure wrote the lyrics and then somebody else was doing all of the textures and melodies and things. It's actually really the opposite. You know, she was yeah. very, very responsible for the, the sonic aspect of it and the songwriting from a music perspective, but uh, not the lyrics. And so definite collaboration, no doubt about it, but I am impressed with her proficiency with a variety of different instruments. And that, again, that, that just, gives a lot of credibility. If this was some made for TV pop star that they wanted to build the Celtic sound through, then that'd be a little more, you know, that'd be a little more harder to accept, but this is clearly an extremely talented musician yeah. who's buried in her art. And yeah, she, she's, she's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. So do you think having a beer with Enya would be fun or do you think it would be like, um, you know, too intense. I mean, she is Irish. So I would say have a Guinness. Right. You and I both know the Guinness in Ireland is like, she probably cream. drinks some like strange, like wine or something. You know, she probably has a very specific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think a beer with Enga might, might not be uh, fun. It's kind of like, like playing golf with Tom Brady. A lot of people are like, well, yeah, that'd be awesome. It's actually be awful because he's like apparently so competitive and so intense right. that it's not fun. I'm thinking of the same concept here. Like wouldn't, would it maybe just be like too, like just too much? It's a great comparison actually. Yeah. I, I think it would probably be too much, but you know, we wouldn't know because she's never, not that she has any um, requirement to do so. And I respect that she hasn't, but she's never really let the public in. Yeah. You'd have you know? to, you'd have to locate her castle out in rural Ireland. Yeah. Knock on the door and say, Hey, Anya, it's me. Just random person. You want to grab a beer real quick inside of your cat. I feel like she wouldn't let you in. I just, that that's my, that's just my first know. instinct is that she probably wouldn't um, open the door to you. No, um, I don't. This is, I don't think we're dealing with a real extrovert here who likes people, you know? Yeah. Well, but she's a very sweet lady. Like this is, I mean, hearing her interview, you know, she's not a, like a recluse or something, but, but just doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't. And listen, we all have those days where you just want to hide in your castle all day, but I hate to say it, man, but Kate Bush, same deal. It's I, true. They're so similar, man. They really are. It's same true. Deal. It's true. Well, but did Kate Bush sing in 10 different languages? That's a question. No, but she's saying in a few. Yeah. Did some French. Did some French. Well, Enya has sung in 10 languages. Most often it's English, uh, Irish, Gaelic, Welsh, and Latin. 
but there's some other crazy stuff in there, but yeah, it's always, I mean, her lyrics are not easy to understand. I mean, I've been listening to her for, you know, 30 years plus, and I still don't really know or care what is going on lyrically, but it is interesting that uh, Roma Ryan and Nikki Ryan, this, this uh, married artist duo are kind of Enya's backbone. She does not like the term new age. You know, I think she kind of uh, winces at that a little bit and which I think is fair because it is an original sound and new age music sometimes gets a little avant-garde and a little out there. And I think Enya realizes that she's a pop artist. I think she does. I mean, and I don't think she, I don't think that bothers her. And this whole operation certainly has been unafraid to be commercial over time. I think that's pretty evident. There's one thing that I wanted to touch on that's kind of funny. And maybe this, you know, implies that having a beer with her would be kind of fun because, you know, even in her biggest global iconic hit song, she's got, well, somebody in there, whether it's her or whether it's her lyricist has a little bit of a sense of humor. There's a line that says with Rob Dickens at the wheel, you know, who Rob Dickens is. He's the guy who signed, he works for Warner. He's the guy who signed and, you know, Warner records. Oh, really? Right? Oh, okay. yeah. With yeah. Rob Dickens at the wheel. It's like, kind of like, here we go. I mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's then, in, that's in <clears throat> sail away. Yeah. And then there's another line that says we can sigh, say goodbye. Ross and his dependencies. Now it's an ode to Ross column. Who was the co-producer of watermark, but I had to look up because it's a play on words. The Ross dependency is a, it's the name of a treaty sort of region within Antarctica that was claimed by New Zealand. It's called the Ross dependency. And you know, the it's population about 300 people, it's all research stations, but it's a territory in, um, in Antarctica. And she, she used not just Ross column, the producer, but, Ross and his dependencies as a play on words of, of this obscure piece of land in Antarctica. So, Hey, who says Amy can't have a good time? Yeah. What a barrel of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Like this chick's ready to party. I know it spent me. <laughs> I, I, I spent like seven minutes figuring out what this, this quip was within her song, but you know, listen, you know, I clearly there's an element there of not taking it too seriously, which, um, which sometimes this could get pretty whimsical and and sometimes fairly dramatic, but I think it's, it's a, it's a project that always stayed fairly grounded and fairly humble, certainly. And regardless of the success never took itself insanely seriously. Well, let's see if how seriously you're going to take yourself nub as we tell our Enya wonder story. You ready to roll on that? Absolutely. All right, let's go. All right, buddy. How did you, uh, how and when did you, uh, discover this global artist and, and what are your overall thoughts on the experience with her? Well, I have this twin brother. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but, uh, he got really into Enya at a time when most people did not. The thing I think I remember most about this is, um, the far and away movie mm-hmm. with uh tom cruise nicole kidman yes 
the theme not, to that. Not eyes wide shut, but but far right, away. Right. Different two, two different uh, films. Yeah. Different uh stories. <laughs> the theme song, at least in the promos, the trailers, was uh from tonight's album. Sail Away was big. It was you that one too was used in commercials or something. I can't remember what. Oh god, several. Yeah. I mean, several uh shows, probably a couple movies, lots of commercials. Yeah, no question. I mean, Ornaco Flow is a probably a timeless song, really. Yeah, massive. And a big marketing piece for sure. So, but I, I one of the things that stands out is you buying these uh the cds the the super high material japan imports you you yeah, i don't know where you found them but you I bought still have them the shms yeah yes her entire catalog on shm and one time when i was over at your house many years ago i imported those into my uh itunes it just created like an anya playlist and uh that stood out because you made such an investment those were not cheap and you bought the entire catalog i think top to bottom so I've always been interested just because you were so interested. I think what's really important to note is I, I've never been a big Enya fan. I've never, the music itself is just never something I've connected that strongly with. But I, I am very into space music. I mean, one of the most influential albums in my life was Brian Eno's Ambient One Music Fair Reports. So it's not that I'm against, it's not like, you know, I'm against this style. I adore this style of music and have tremendous respect for it. But I tend to like the original, you know, the cluster and like harmonium and like these German scene where, where people Which had first... to be something Nicky Ryan was into. I mean, oh, yeah. you can hear yeah. it in a lot of the, I mean, there's even some clever time signature stuff going on with Enya music, you know, that does take you back to some of this kraut genre, right? For sure. If you listen to music for airports, which again, I mean, it's a, it's a pivotal album in new age and space music, pivotal ambient is what became the hip term. Even the way that, you know, was using voices, these wordless voices that came in, you know, on one stereo channel and out the other. And uh, that's, you hear that a ton in Enge's music, a ton. I mean, it's like one of the cornerstones of her sound. I, it's maybe a little bit overly Celtic for me too. And, you know, Irish culture and Irish music. It's just never really been, I mean, we loved going there, of course, but um, I am looking forward to hearing like exactly how you've discovered it. I, I want to say somebody at school, like, was there somebody at school that like, yes, I think there was a person if I remember. Well, and we've talked about this person before. So this is Dave S. Oh, Dave S. Not to be confused with Froggy. <laughs> right. Froggy. Or Mike G or any of the other right. idiots we've talked about in the past. But <laughs> Dave S we talked about in the white album episode, you know, because his uh, dad was a big Beatles guy and sort of got us looped in on some of the later Beatles work. And he just was a great, I mean, this guy just had uh, great, well, he and his dad both, but really this kid just had really good musical taste and really good appreciation. And, I remember was into full albums and album tracks and just all kinds of eye-opening stuff as you're sort of looking to some of your peers to learn more how to be it, not just a a fan, but a music appreciator. And he he really was. So I remember him telling me about this Enya thing and this Clanab thing. And it was like, all right, I trust this kid. Like, you know, let's let's see what's up here. And then 
he played Ornaco Flow, and I was like, yeah, I, I know that. I saw that in a commercial and whatever. But Shepherd Moons was the one that um, really hit home. Now, I listen to this every single night at bedtime. I don't know if you could hear it on the other side of the wall. For I could sort of hear it over the Cinemax a little bit. It provided nice bed music for yeah, yeah. when I was yeah. uh, viewing. Trying to help you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for, I mean, this for years, for years, every single night. And in fact, there's a point of the record, we'll get to it in the track by track, that it starts to kind of fall off a little bit in terms of familiarity because I would always conk out, you know? Um, so in terms of something that really helped get a sort of wound up teenager like me, calm and cool and ready to go to, into ready to go night, night, ready to go sleepy times. Um, this, this did the trick and I'm telling you every night for <laughs> this is even through high school. I mean, probably for like six or seven years, you know, was shepherd moon. So definitely a one that, you know, hits close to home and connects close to home. But, you know, recently she put these out as reissues on vinyl and listening to this on vinyl is just really interesting, you know, and especially that there are original pressings. Um, I don't, do you have the original pressings or do you have the reissues or what did you, what direction did you go on this one? I have watermark and shepherd moons on original pressing. Yeah. But yeah. it's like nineties vinyl, very flimsy. Yeah. And sound great. And plus this is one genre I don't love on vinyl because the music is so quiet and sometimes it's a, it's one of those times where the, the, the vinyl sounds and the sounds of the needle gets a little bit in the way. It's so true. I prefer this on CD. Actually, it, Well, for sure. I mean, it's very digital and you know, the analog treatment of it, like I said, is pretty interesting, but it definitely doesn't capture the full sort of essence of it. So, so yeah, this was, this was a record that, I mean, I, the amount of times it would probably rival just in terms of volume and play count, it would probably rival anything, you know, that I've indulged in over time just because it was a nightly routine. So, yeah, I mean, it's an artist. I've, I've always loved her. I I've, I've always wanted to uh, see her live. I've always wanted more, but maybe that's part of the appeal is that, you know, she doesn't overexpose herself or her work or, you know, promotionally or any of these things. And she seems to always, uh, when she has a tremendous amount of fans um, and obviously has been hugely successful. And I think part of that is kind of leaving them wanting more. She kind of did this Christmas thing 10 years ago, which I didn't really like. Uh, and then put out another um, studio album in 2015 called dark sky Island. So, you know, I think it's about time. I think we're on this sort of, you know, the, the progression here of uh, new studio work every seven or eight years or whenever she damn well feels like it. And I think we're due, man. So Enya, I know you're listening. Go on tour and release a new album. Let's go. LFG, Enya. Enough. All right. How old is she, Nati? Uh, she is. I'm going to have to look this up. So I don't, I don't want to get her age wrong. Then she'll, she'll she definitely really find you. Well, yeah, she won't have a crush on me if I 
screw up her age, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's yeah. ultimately what I'm going for. Uh, she's 61 years old. So 61, yeah. 61 living in a castle. I don't know, man. She and still looks like she's 30 if you see her today. It's true. So, she does look amazing. Yeah. Always sort of did. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, Nub, want to dig into it? I do. Let's All let's right. dig. Let's do Here it. Here we go. Let's go. I can't tell you how many times I've uh, <laughs> heard this intro. Uh, and actually, I forgot to mention this during Wonder Stories, but now my kids are super into it, which is awesome. So like they both are now wanting to hear Enya as they, and Lord knows they need it to, to sort of (laughs) calm down and chill out a little bit for God's sake. But uh, so I'm I'm still hearing this intro to this day, um, granted for a a new, a new audience uh, internally here, but the opening track, the title track uh, is one that uh, many people would recognize many people that, whether it was at night or in the morning or during the day or whenever it may have been, decided to give Shepherd Moons a spin. And that is the title track of Shepherd Moons. instrumental except for the oohs and ahs and uh you know one that kind of sets the tone here with something that's a little more smooth now you get into some fairly upbeat fairly you know in some cases waltzy and 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 rhythmic things eventually on shepherd boons but this one kind of eases you into it this is ambient in the true sense with all the kind of background lush noises but what I what stands out about this one is that sort of, and I never know the instruments she's using ever. Isn't harpsichord? I'm not sure, but those kind of single notes. Well, a lot of it is a roll. It's actually a Roland D50, which which uh, actually hadn't been used a lot in this genre. It was more of a progressive sort of rock tool or just a pure synth tool. So, yeah, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting about this sound is it used a lot of more sort of vintage analog um, approaches, which again, Nikki Ryan had to be into the Eno stuff and some of the Krautrock stuff just had to be part of what makes it cool is this wasn't all just modern sounds and modern effects. This was a lot of stuff that sort of just takes you back to pure synth approach. Yeah, no doubt about it. That, that, and that is one of the things that makes it fun. If this album was made, if any of Agnes work was made today, be a lot easier to pull off. I mean, you are talking about analog synths, some early digital synths, and, you know, certainly some analog instruments too. So a lot of skill into that, but those single notes, I think are what's what stand out. Those are what kind of add to the texture of this one and and make it stand out a little bit more. Track two is quite the waltz and certainly one of the more well-known Enya tunes, Caribbean blue.
so there's that low end you know if you if you were to see this live the woofers would be going nuts on something like that because it's a really strong low end that's that element of Nicky Ryan's approach when he was you know uh, trying to introduce music to deaf students and get the floor to shake you know and get them to sort of feel that that bounce throughout their whole body that that's that's really evident here it's a waltz that doesn't feel like a waltz because it is very poppy um beautiful layers as you often get but I think what really sets it apart, and there's a lot of this on Shepherd Moons, is are these kind of swirling vocals, these riffy almost um, moves sort of at the high end, but then that low end bass progression that really takes you through it. It's a great record to listen to in a car or on good speakers, like with a good subwoofer or something. It's a really, really nice listen. Far and away, my favorite Angus song. I, I think it's a brilliant brilliant work it's it's very commercial actually if you think about it it's the way you you made a great point the way that it's mixed even the elements within it pretty radio friendly and i'm sure it didn't get a lot of radio play that's not how Anya did her thing but it's catchy it's very catchy in just about every section of it oh yeah but i think the opening that just that the way that the melody kind of trickles in teases there's lots of like build and release and then drop in this song so dynamic wise it's playing with all sorts of really fun ideas it's, it's just an it's an absolutely brilliant song i i don't i don't i don't think she ever did anything quite to this level on following works i like this one a lot better than sail away i actually think this should have been the bigger hit mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't because it wasn't quite as catchy but uh yeah, this is this is on my playlist and regularly comes up and I never flip through it. It's 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 an absolutely fantastic song. Nice. Well, I, I agree with you, but there is one song later on the record that I think trumps it. But until then, we get to track three, which kind of brings things down a little bit. Uh, and that is how can I keep from singing? So it's obviously really pretty. This is almost Enya like acoustic, you know, it's basically her voice and a low end progression. And that's pretty much it. Now there's multi-track and those things, but this is, this is really stripped down and it's really pretty, you know, and I think it's a good track three. I think it sets up on the album. Well, it does start to get into that idea you mentioned earlier of like, how would she pull this off? live because those background voices are so important. You know, I, I would have loved to mix Enya because think about oh, just all the cool stuff you could do with things coming in and out. I mentioned it earlier talking about, Eno, you know, but those background voices as challenging as they would be to mix and to get them all right. Uh, there, there's so many placements that they use, especially in this song that just really work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Track four is a quick hitter called Ibudai. It's pretty well known, albeit a quick hitter, and it takes you into track five, which is called Angelese. Mm-hmm. 
Now, for some reason, this is uh, this was the time period, Nub, where I started to really get sleepy. You know, yeah, like, I was just gonna say this has got to be around the time where you were. Outside. Yeah, I was starting to I was starting to think about maybe uh, maybe conking out, but you know, the, the lyric there it sounds like she's saying "go to sleep." She's not, but I always heard that, and I would just get nice and nuzzled up. You know, it's like all right. But uh, it's it's a it's a highly produced track. It's not my favorite, um, but it does sort of you know the first half of this record. It's I do like the way it progresses, you know, and I think the sort of chant, almost like tribal sound of Ibuda, kind of takes you into something that's a little bit more sweeping with uh, with Anjali. So I think it's a it's a kind of a two track uh, approach that works well. Track six is called No Holly for Miss Quinn. Now, I believe that this is uh, sort of meant to tee up Book of Days. I always see the two as kind of, I mean, it's an instrumental and it's just piano, basically. Um, I always felt like these were sort of a little bit of a two-headed monster. But Book of Days, interested in your thoughts on it. I not Well, let's just play it. All right, now I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you can fly down the highway to this song. This is, I think this is an incredible piece of music that has energy in a way that sometimes Enya music has a hard time capturing. It's, it's upbeat. This is extremely upbeat for her. Obviously, it was part of the movie you mentioned earlier and all that, but if you just which was a single, it's certainly one of her most famous songs, but this is something that you can almost listen to, to kind of get you pumped up. This is something that has a lot of backbone, a lot of backbeat, the timpani and the sort of sleigh bells that keep the rhythm going are just gorgeous and a perfect backdrop to something that has, in my opinion, not just incredible progressions and melodies in a way that, was probably unique to a lot of her music is something that really brought a nice energy to it. I, I think it's her best song. In a very worthy choice for it. I, I, I love that you use the word energy because this could be like on a running playlist, right? Like a Peloton playlist. And it's, it's rare for her to have that. I do like the sleigh bells and the timpani. I think that that really gives it pace. Her ability to to know what a, a pop hook would be is sort of underrated. I don't think she did it enough, T. Yeah. You know, I think I think every album, instead of having two or three of these sort of moments, should have had, you know, a lot more. Definite pop artist. And Nikki Ryan, definitely a pop producer. I mean, there's no question that uh, who knows who had more of that that viewpoint and vision than the other, but they were not afraid to to take a pop angle and and certainly on this record. Well, I, and I, one of the things that stands out about it, it's two minutes and 56 seconds long. You ain't doing that if you're not looking to be on the radio. 
I mean, this song could have been fleshed out way more. Oh yeah. If you wanted to create something even more epic and from like a artistic standpoint, you know, really reference a few things and extend the intro and extend the outro and do something even more beautiful in the middle, but they squeezed it down to be clearly a pop single, Yeah, which it became. And it became a, a successful one. It's certainly boosted by its use in that movie. The movie was god awful, if you remember right. Yeah, I think it was really bad. It's terrible. But the yeah. uh, the song became really significant. I know that it was it charted well uh, in a bunch of countries. I think it did okay in the U.S., but I think it was really big in like the U.K. and yeah. Um, but it does have that energy, and I think that I would love to see her explore more of that. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So now at this point, I'm pretty much zonked. Yeah, you're outskirts, man. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. Like, especially after that. Now that one, I had to be careful with Book of Days that that it didn't sort of wake you back up, make you want to go like run a lap around the house. But I always, my goal was always to stay awake until Book of Days. After that, all bets were off. So, you know, what we're going to do, we'll, we'll, we're going to just sort of fly through the, that we're going to combine the, the last five and, and then we'll just sort of wrap it up. And it's not to say that the back half of this album isn't good or worthwhile, but nubs, I was just usually asleep by now. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, if we're being authentic about our experience with the album, you're, you're conked out at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Put a fork in me. I'm done. Right. You know, exactly. Lights out meatball at exactly. this point. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Track eight is called Evacuee. I must wait until it's Nice addition there of the trumpet. I think Nikki Ryan actually played that, believe it or not. Track nine is called Lothiorian. Just a quick hitter instrumental there, which obviously you see a couple other times on the record. And these guys um, like doing that in term in the full context of an album, which was often a nice little break or even served as a tee up to the next track. And what that tees up is track 10, Marble Halls. I was already asleep by now, but this, you could just have a wonderful dream over. I think I'd, I was dreaming about like, like, I don't know, like flying a kite, you know, or something. Right. Or, or just like chasing a rainbow, you know, I'm going to guess that in your teenage years, it was a uh, different type of dreams. Could have different. been something else. Could have been something else, yeah. but 
Not with maybe dream about Enya, maybe. I, you know what? I think I was flying a kite with Enya. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably correct. Our <laughs> Running through la- the fields, flying a kite. Yeah. That's right. Second to last track is track eleven. It's called. I'm probably butchering this, but it's called Afferventus. <laughs> Could have been a pop song. You could do a rock cover of this. By the way, I don't know if I said this. I, I didn't say this during the Wonder Stories, but I do have a cover of On My Way Home, which uh, was an Enya song off Memory of Trees, which was the album after this. So, uh On my way. Yeah, I, you could you could you could do a little rock and roll uh, version of certain Enya songs, and I think that's one of them. The closing track is called, I think, Samoa Inte. Samoa Inte starts with an S. Track twelve. <laughs> a song that kind of has two parts the first is sort of something that's a bit more slow and sort of deliberate and then it takes you into that section which really takes you out of the album which is just this really pretty progression that brings in some layers and some instrumentation and those type of things and and there you go 12 tracks I, I i will say i think that's one of the best sections of the album yeah it's very thoughtful outro you know, albums that are a little of this nature tend to, you want to focus on the way it ends because there's usually some intention behind ending it in a sort of, not necessarily grand, but some sort of usually emotional way. Let's put it that way. And yeah, that well, certainly captures, it's a great melody. And as I just mentioned, uh, her follow-up album to this In Memory of Trees, which is another outstanding record, closes with this song On My Way Home, the one that I did a little cover version of. That actually, I think I said earlier, Book of Days is her best song. On My Way Home is actually her best song, easily. Um, and uh, and yeah, very interesting that she put that at the end. It was a clear single and a clear sort of poppy uh, approach that, again, you can make a rock song out of um, and chose to put it last. So it seems like there was always a focus on the sort of bookends approach to the record she always closed her albums in really strong fashion you know and i think that again this progression while it's not as poppy and a little bit more sort of swirling um is a really kind of beautiful way to wrap up uh, what most would consider a fairly beautiful album so nub how beautiful did you consider it and how does this stuff hold up today i think that that's a really interesting question this was 
this is going back 30 years ago and you know particularly a genre that's so niche and that's so unique you kind of wonder if it still is something that could be deemed you know relevant in the proper mood and proper moment today what do you think how did it hold up and how important do you think that this sort of whole wave of any music was back then or even still today i think it holds up very well because of the talent that's on display. There's just raw, raw talent from Enya and her collaborators all sort of, and I feel like this album is sort of maybe at the top of their game. You know, they've had some success. The confidence must've been high. And there's just so much into this musically that just reveals sheer unarguable talent. Because of the sound, it actually holds up pretty well. None of it sounds dated. Maybe some of it even sounds better today than it did back then because there's some retro aspects of it. There's a purity to the music. It wasn't all just sequenced and like spit out of a computer. So in all those ways, I think it holds up very well. I think Enya is ripe for a rediscovery. I do. I wonder if Stranger Things will at some point, you know, use an Enya song. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> Exactly. So I think, I think it holds up really well. So yeah, I mean, you know, this is the nice part about sort of new agey type of music, space music, ambient music. I think it's really timeless. You know, music for airports still sounds as fresh as it did in the the 1970s. Right. And so, yeah, I think there's a timelessness aspect to it. So, well, and also the fact that there wasn't an image, you know, it's like, a lot of hair metal music gets a bad rap because of the image tied to it. A lot of jam band music gets right. So there, there are these genres that sometimes don't hold up well, and it's not because of the music it's because of sort of the elements that surrounded it and the overexposure or overpromotion or personalities or annoyance or whatever. The fact that, and you always sat back and just let the music sort of do the talking for her probably helps the ability for it to create longevity because you don't hear this music and think of, Oh, Enya who is in the tabloids all the time or, or whatever, like overexposed or, or self-indulgent or, or whatever it may be. Um, that probably helps. I would think for this to sustain over time. It's a great take. I, I agree a hundred percent. Everything's just seems very pure, you know, Maybe yeah. too pure. Maybe that's one of the things that held her back from even greater success. But the other thing, I think it matters because, again, of the, the global international aspect of it. I mean, it, it was big for me to, to realize through music, through this, through Enya as an artist, like it's a big world out there. And something can be really big in other places than just, you know, our little hometown here. And that music is a good way for young people to learn that. I think it's, it's gone now because the whole world is connected and global. And, but back then this was a big deal that she was such an international star, you know, international presence, maybe yep. is the better word. Yep. So how's it hold up for you too? Quite good. I mean, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, the music speaks for itself and there's a, there's a mood and a time and a place for this. The fact that it's poppy and catchy and melodic, I mean, those we've seen over time that um, those elements of music can be timeless if it's memorable. And, you know, the ability, I mean, it, it, this, this musical marriage, it's almost like a three-way uh, marriage between Nikki, Roma, and Enya in developing the right tone, 
the right feel. They, they had a feel, you know, for this clearly, right. And this, this hadn't, this hadn't been done before. And, uh, and, and clearly they had a feel for not just, you know, what this needed to sound like, but what was going to sustain over time. And you got to give them credit for that. So, but yeah, to kind of take this approach and make it so that it can be poppy, it can be accessible and, you know, obviously can be very successful here. It's quite the deal when you think on the deal here, when you think about the fact that these guys were able to um, create a multi-decade career out of this artist, this style of music. Now, I thought In Memory of Trees, which came after Shepherd Moons was excellent, almost as good. And nothing really since then has been as good. And I'm not sure why exactly. I'm not sure if things got sort of too repetitive or too there's some the limits to the genre there are yeah i mean you can only do so much of it right before you yeah do repeating yeah that's what i heard in all the later work for sure yeah no, it's a good point very fair point and and you know maybe maybe the artists themselves would even agree with that but and then after that the the catalog uh, starts to thin out a little bit and level off a little bit which to your point may be just kind of part of you know what's anticipated cuz you are a little bit in a box you know uh with this in terms of um instrumentation in terms of progressions in terms of you know your ability to keep doing it but hey that does not mean i ain't ready for another uh and your record so let's go Let's go. I know she's listening. I know she's listening. All right. Well, let's get to the final cut, buddy. Uh, is this one on the turntable? Is this in the collection? Is this collecting dust or is this going to the for sale bin for you? Nub? where do you got shepherd moons? I'd put shepherd moons and watermark in terms of collecting dust. That's what I would say, because I think that it's an important artist at her peak two records that should be in your collection, but I don't think listening to them often to your point about sleeping to it, I get it, but there's not a lot of other settings where you'd want to listen to the album top to bottom, other than a relaxation, a, a sleep thing, a, a meditation thing, a massage thing, you know, it's good massage music, I would guess. Yeah. Sure. Right. Uh, so I, I put this and I would include watermark in certain terms of, you know, collecting dust these two feel really original, super authentic and, and at a pinnacle, everything before and after feels like it's not worth the time. But for this, I would absolutely say collecting dust. Everyone should own it, you know, but listen to it regularly. Eh, not sure. T where's your final cut. I'm kind of with you. I think that for, for me, the final cut on this is simple. It's, it's in the collection. I, I don't think you can, Go all the way to on the turntable, even though it's a fantastic listen. The back half's kind of okay, right? And and granted, you know, I missed most of it because I was in La La Land. But but you know, the the front half of the record, side A of this, is really good. You know, really really special, really good. Deserves to be in the collection. It's a classic. I mean, Watermark, Shepherd Moons, and Memory of Trees are are. It's a trio of Enya classics. You almost it's really all you need. In in fact, in 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 kind of her overall collection, in terms of what preceded it and what has come after, I do think she hopefully has one more great album uh, in her, and 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 Nikki and Roman, they they can you know produce one more that's really really good and well received. She had that giant hit with Only Time, which is probably one of my least favorite Enya songs, to be honest with you, but you know generated tremendous commercial success with that song. The album that surrounded it wasn't great. You know, I mean, it wasn't bad. 
I don't think she's put out a record that's particularly bad, but um, would love to see the team sort of be able to collaborate on sort of one more for the Gipper there record that really closes out because she's certainly on the back half of her career, probably the back quarter of her career at this point. Um, one that would close it out in, in due fashion. So hopefully we do see that. But this is in the collection for me. I think I think Watermark, Shepherd Moons, and Memory of Trees should be, unless you just hate this genre, even if you're more into sort of just pure ambient, you know, kraut rock, uh, you know, some of the even sort of synth driven stuff. I think you still got to have this and appreciate it and, and kind of understand how they were able to turn this into a global phenomenon, you know, utilizing a lot of pop elements, but certainly a unique sort of Gaelic element and a, a unique uh, proggy element in a lot of ways uh, using in some cases, some classic synth instrumentation that any, uh, fan of those things can appreciate. So I've got it in the collection, buddy. All right. Well, before we wrap, uh, it'd be interesting to do a little in your head with Enya. I'm not sure what she's listening to these days, right? I wonder, I wonder what she's just, you know, when she's like hanging out in her castle, just what she listens to, you know? Um, like Slayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Does Norwegian this, death metal, probably. Yeah, does she have this secret yeah. love for, you know, or, you know, the other thing I could see, maybe she just listens to herself all the time. I was going to say, probably nothing. No, yeah, or, you know, or nothing. Like, yeah, yeah. The exactly. sounds of the wind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I know that you haven't been listening to the sounds of the wind because you've always got something cooking over there, Buckaroo. So let's see uh, what's in your head. What do you got? Another Irish woman there, Dolores, you know? Yes, that's right. I, my obsession with ghost continues. Uh, so not the new record, but continue to listen to Cyrese uh, by ghost. Such a great rock song going to see them. Finally, I got tickets for them and Mastodon. Nice. Not until September, but uh, cannot wait. We'll finally get to see Papa Emeritus and ghost live. It'll be great. Uh, second is a little, you know, kind of a little unknown, not unknown, but little known hit from the mid 2000s. And that is uh, Breathe Your Name by Sixpence None the Richer. Came on last week and I was like, this was a really good song by a cool band. And then, uh, you know, it's summer. So the money man, miss him, miss him, miss him. Oh, Always yeah. opened Pine Knob Music Theater and uh, obviously, you know, left us a few years back. But uh, I want to go back, you know, great Eddie Money tunes. Man, he had some beauties, didn't he? Sure did. What's a in your head? Well, you know, I, I wasn't going to say this, but now that you brought up the money, man, I'm going to go with Walk on Water. It's a great summer song. Yeah, and, really. Uh, you know, so I can't say that it's in my head because I just thought of it, but it will be in my head because I'm going to listen to it right when we're done today. Give that money man his due. You know, uh, the second is uh, is off the single soundtrack. So. Uh, so Mrs. Toph and I were uh, on, a, on a little bit of a road trip uh, uh, a couple weeks ago and, and we started talking about the single soundtrack and we were like, let's just listen to the whole thing, you know, and uh, the song by Mother Love Bone, which is Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thrones is just an incredible song. It's an incredible song and not terribly surprising to see what Mother Love Bone sort of turned into after Andrew Wood died and basically became Pearl Jam and all this stuff. It's, it's, you know, you could tell that, Right from the get-go, those guys had a tremendous amount of talent. But that Chloe Dancer section with the piano and stuff is just just pretty amazing. Every once in a great while, Pearl Jam plays it live, and it's magical. It's awesome. Yeah. 
And the third is, listen, um, we had Rupert Holmes on the show to talk through the adventure record. The adventure record really comes out for me during the summer. It's a great summer album. And I'm going to go with a song that I've enjoyed more and more uh, as, uh, as I've listened to it. And again, please go back and listen to that Rupert episode. Two parts. Part one is us just bullshitting. Part two is us really digging into this very special, I think, record. And The O'Brien Girl is a, a song that I probably didn't love at first, but the more I hear it, man, that's a really cool tune. Really cool tune. So that is what is in my head. Nub, I hope we didn't kind of mellow you out too much here. Uh, I hope you can, you know, kind of regroup and rev the engine back up because sometimes that en- any music can just uh, make you really chill. So, so yeah, how do you feel? A, you- I got to go take a nap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'll tucker you out if you're not careful. That's a wrap on a very unique, I think, record for us and for the show. And hopefully you all enjoyed it. And I haven't heard that many people say I hate Enya. So um, unless you just don't have a soul, Nub, I think you're an Enya fan deep down, right? Nub, thank you for uh, your thoughts on this one. And, uh, and, Clearly you had a good time because it allowed you to just talk about your girlfriend, Kate Bush, a bunch. So there you go. <laughs> Listen, any excuse that I can get to gush about my, my girlfriend. <laughs> well, but you know what you did it. You at least attempted and I think succeeded to do it in a way that was actually quite relevant. So uh, I think so. You know, yeah. look, look in the, uh, when we get to the Slayer episode, if I start to make the connection, then, you know, Uh, i think it was very relevant very connectable yeah exactly well hey we'll see you all in a couple weeks we got something something good cooking as you can tell from uh from what we've touched on a few times here but we're really excited to have a special guest uh in a couple weeks so that'll be dropping soon but in the meantime we hope you enjoyed episode episode 75 no but i didn't even put that together until now we've hit We've hit the 75 mark. Is that the Jubilee? Jubilee? It's yeah, it's something, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. It's great. Well, and and obviously we got a QA still to come. So anyway, lots of good stuff coming up. But in the meantime, hey, the sun is coming out. Summer is on its way. And we hope you're uh, getting off to a good start as these fun summer months are upon us. But uh, be good. Be strong, be bold, and listen to Enya. It's good for your health. And we'll see you next time here on Two Twins and an album. Y'all take care out there. Two Twins. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then. Take it easy.